well, what do you game plan for? Because if you try to take away one thing, they can be very effective with the other. Um, so I, I think this is going to be a really interesting... I think it's going to be a really interesting week to see what the game plan looks like for the defense. Um, I think overall they've they've been very good this year. Um, but also this is kind of like our first true test of seeing... Uh, a quote-unquote more normal game, you know, hopefully there's not 60-mile-an-hour wins, and kind of seeing what our secondary looks like, and and they're going to be tested by Brady. Um, so if you kind of deploy that shell to try to limit what Brady does to you, are we able to slow down Fournette? And I think that's going to be a, a really interesting challenge for this defense, and I'm interested to see what Leslie Frazier and uh, Sean McDermott draw up for this week. You're now listening to the Wandering Buffalo Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Chang and Justin Goddard. Bills Mafia, welcome in and thank you for joining me on another episode of the Wandering Buffalo Podcast, a show on the built-in Buffalo Network. My name is Justin, I'll be your host tonight. Um... I'll be riding solo again today. I promise Andrew and I are, are going to be able to link up again here shortly. Um, just been a crazy few weeks with the holidays and I'm having car problems. We had a sick puppy. Um, so just getting our schedules to line up the past few weeks has, has been really difficult. But we will be back again together shortly. Um, tonight we're going to be taking a dive into the matchup coming up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And... Looking through this roster on the Bucks, this game is going to be a doozy. Um, and I feel like we all kind of know who the Bucks are. You know, if you follow football, they won the Super Bowl last year. So we have a good idea of the team. So I'm going to do a little bit of a quicker run through, you know, position by position. And I kind of wanted to leave a little bit of time at the end of the episode to just kind of sort through some of my thoughts about the Bills team as it stands right now. Um, so getting right into it, the game is going to be played in Tampa Bay uh, for 25 kickoff on Sunday. Uh, as of right now, it looks like the weather is calling for about 78 degrees and cloudy. And uh, me personally, I'm just, I'll pretty much take anything. I'm just hoping that there's not much wind in the forecast uh, after that New England game. Um, so like I said, we know this team. They're the Super Bowl champions. Um, start right out on offense. And, of course, you know at quarterback we have Tom Brady. And honestly, sitting here writing my notes, I was like, what can I really say about Tom Brady that hasn't already been said, right? You know, he's got this illustrious career. Um, I hate to say it on a Bills show, but I, I kind of got to give him the nod for for the GOAT debate, I mean, physically, physical-wise, uh, arm talent-wise, all that um, on paper doesn't really slot up to, you know, this prime athlete. But when you start looking at his resume and what he's been able to do in his career, I just don't really see an argument against it. Um, I mean, the success he had in New England, you know, you want to say, the whole debate of, you know, was he a system quarterback? Was this more Bill Belichick or was this more um, Tom Brady? I mean, I get to a point where I think, 
you know, it's a little bit of both. And, and they had a great partnership that worked out so great for about 20 years. Um, but just seeing him at 43 years old, leave that team he had all the success with and go to Tampa Bay and go be able to win another ring in the first year. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And then we move into this season, you know, he's playing at the age of 44 and Brady just doesn't look like he's slowing down. I mean, there's, there's some parts to his game that used to be a little bit cleaner, I guess, but sitting at 44 years old, coming off a Super Bowl win and he's right up there in the MVP race. Um, so I know Tom Brady is a guy that has just tortured us as Bills fans for as long as we can remember. Um, pretty much just putting the division out of reach for 17 years or so. Um, and and I don't think we really see a deteriorating version of him at all when we play them on Sunday. Um, complimenting Tom Brady, they do have uh, Leonard Fournette in the backfield with Ronald Jones. Um, Ronald Jones is questionable this week, so we'll see if he plays or not. Um, but he's also kind of a complimentary back. This isn't really a committee system. They also have Giovanni Bernard in the mix, uh, more of like a pass-catching weapon. Um, but the main focus at running back is is Leonard Fournette. And especially coming out of that New England game last week, this is this is a running back that scares me a little bit. You know, he's, he's not on that Jonathan Taylor level. Um, but Fournette is a very good running back in this league. So what I think what Fournette brings to the table as a running back is he is a big physical runner um, that has a little bit of foot speed to him, but he's not the type to really kind of dance in the hole. He, he hits the hole hard. He follows his blocks. And as we'll get to later, th this offensive line does a good job of opening up holes for him. And then when you're able to complement Fournette with Tom Brady in the passing game, I think it just really lends itself to, you know, them being able to affect each other positively. You know, he's not a running back that you're expecting to put the whole offense through. So when he does get his opportunities, um, he's able to capitalize on them. Um, so definitely, definitely an area in this game, you know, putting that New England film on tape of just what they were able to be able to do to us on the ground, you know, you if you take the weather out of it, you know, it's a different game. But that being said, um, they were still able to win a game with Mac Jones only throwing three passes. Um, I don't think it's likely that we see that heavy of a run, run game, game plan from uh, Tampa Bay with Tom Brady as the quarterback. But, you know, if they can control the game on the ground, why, why would you take the chances of throwing it, I guess? So um, then moving into some of the receiving options they have for Tom Brady. And there's some good ones here. Um, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Brashad Perryman, Scotty Miller. Um, Antonio Brown is also there, but we will not see him this week. He's uh, suspended by the NFL for violating COVID protocols. Um, so I guess that would kind of be my silver lining to this group is you don't have that that third third-level receiver that's just a burner. He can run every route on the field and for whatever anybody wants to say about Antonio Brown, he's still a great player, um, and I'll be glad to not have to deal with him on the field as well. 
Um, when you're looking at Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, they're, I mean, Mike Evans in particular uh, comes in at 6'5", and they're both just more physical receivers and imposing receivers. Um, I feel like these are the type of receivers that we've seen the team struggle with at times where they just kind of get big boyed, uh, in particular Levi Wallace. Um, and I feel like Levi Wallace is having a really great season, and I'm interested to see what our secondary looks like without Trey. And, you know, I thought that New England game would be kind of our, our first sniff at what that might look like, but that was a game where we were running, you know, with three linebackers more than ever, stacking the box. They didn't really throw it, so I feel like we're two weeks removed from the Trey White injury, and and now we we don't really know anything different than when it happened. Um, so I think... This is going to be a real test for Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace, the other members of the secondary, um, to really show whether or not they can step up with the absence of Trey White. You know, there's there's no one for one replacing Trey White on this team, um, but just doing the job competently enough and kind of putting some some film out there for what we can expect from some of these players going forward. Um, also, we might see a little bit more of Perriman and Scotty Miller. Um, they haven't seen much action this year, but without Antonio Brown being there, uh, maybe we see a little bit more of those players. Um, however, I think it's more likely that we see New England roll with a little bit more two tight end sets. They they have a set of good tight ends on this team. Um, Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Brait, and O.J. Howard, and... Again, Gronk, very similar to Brady in that we kind of know all about him at this point, right? Um, big, physical, monster of a human. Um, he's He's been great in this league for a long time. Um, retired there for a little bit and teamed back up with Brady. And he has battled a little bit of injury issues this year, um, but he's overall still having a very nice season. On uh, the year, he has 460. 436 yards, I'm sorry, and six touchdowns. And then between Cameron Brait and O.J. Howard, they add another three touchdowns. And they haven't been used as much in the passing game as Gronk, um, but I think that's also kind of a product of having the three receivers that they had. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit more work for the tight ends this week. And in those two tight end sets, I, I get a little bit concerned um, just with some of the issues that we've had covering tight ends in the past. Um, seems to be cleaned up a little bit this year, but now you know there's a chance that you have to deal with two, three of them on the field at, at a time. And while O.J. Howard has been largely a disappointment in Tampa Bay, you know, I believe, I know he's a first-round pick, I believe it was 19th overall, and just hasn't emerged as that like game-changing tight end. Um, but, you know, even if he has a couple flashes here and there in a game, it, it could really affect the game because he does have that talent to to be a number one tight end. Uh, it's just a matter of putting it all together. And then we have the uh, offensive line here in front of Brady. We have Donovan Smith, uh, Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, Alex Kappa, and Tristan Wirfs. And I just think overall as a unit, this is an above-average to good offensive line in the league. 
Um, they've been doing a good job keeping Brady clean, and we know how good Brady is at negotiating the pocket and stepping up and moving left and right. Um, but he's not, you know, a type to get a free runner at him and and really be able to avoid that on his own. And that being said, you know, with a basic statue of Tom Brady back there, they've allowed 14 sacks on the season, which, you know, it's not not an egregious number of sacks to have given up. And they also do a really good job, you know, kind of controlling the trenches in the run game. And I think this this offense as a whole um, just it works really well in being complimentary of you know you're not asking too much out of the run game you're not asking Tom Brady to do too much and it's kind of like well what do you game plan for because if you try to take away one thing they can be very effective with the other um, so I, I think this is going to be a really interesting I think it's going to be a really interesting week to see what the game plan looks like for the defense um, I think overall they've they've been very good this year Um, But also, this is kind of like our first true test of seeing uh, a quote-unquote more normal game. You know, hopefully there's not 60-mile-an-hour wins. And kind of seeing what our secondary looks like. And and they're going to be tested by Brady. Um, So if you kind of deploy that shell to try to limit what Brady does to you, are we able to slow down Fournette? And I think that's going to be a really interesting challenge for this defense. And... I'm interested to see what Leslie Frazier and uh, Sean McDermott draw up for this week. So I'm going to take a quick break here. We'll come right back and we'll dive into the defense. Welcome back into the Wandering Buffalo podcast. We're going to pick up where we left off and just dive right in with the defense. And... The defense for the Buccaneers, as I started looking through this, kind of, when I do these preview episodes, I'm, I'm trying to, at the same time, kind of look at where I would want to attack a defense and where I think our advantages could come in, and, you know, vice versa on the offensive side of the ball. And just looking through this defensive unit, they, they have studs everywhere. Um, they're very stout. They've been playing together, and, you know, they brought back all of their starters from the Super Bowl last year. And I feel like similar similar to the Bills bringing back almost everybody, I just think that the Buccaneers had some some more depth uh, rounded out and, and some more areas secured. And this defense just continuing to play together and get continuity and bringing in some rotation pieces that aren't expected to start is, is just building up a pretty gruesome defense and just starting right up front they're big two up there um Indomitian Sue and Vita Vea and say all you will about Sue you know he's kind of been a bit of a dirty player in his career and not the most loved person across the league but he's playing at 34 years old and he's still a very productive player in this league um just big physical um he he asserts his his dominance over players and thus far this season he's gotten six six sacks from the defensive end position on a three four defense um so in that defense it's not necessarily you know just go after the quarterback every play that's it's a lot of keeping the lanes open and letting the linebackers move free 
And for for a scheme deployed like that, for him to still have six sacks at this juncture of his career, um, it's just kind of like an eye-popping number to me and definitely somebody that concerns me. And then Vita Vea, also in the front, he's like the exact prototype of what I would like in that Star Latulale role. Um, he's that big physical player, um, but he's not just a space eater. He does that very well. He'll tie up two, three guys across your line, um, but he also gets penetration. He he makes plays on his own, and he's just always interrupting in the middle. And also in that kind of space eater role, you know, taking on two, three blockers on a, a lot of plays. He's also adding three sacks this year. Um, so he he really interrupts things up front. He can really wreck your day, um, especially from the interior where we've seen the most struggles with the Bills' offensive line. Um, that that just gives me a lot of concerns on, on what are we going to do to try to neutralize Vita Vea that he's not affecting our whole line on every play. Uh, and then for for me, I... I think Vita Vey is kind of like if you took Starla Tulele and Ed Oliver and mashed him into one player, and he kind of has that effect on that three four defense and and allows them to run that front um, because of because of how much he does there. And then you move into the linebackers um, who are are good across the board. All four of these linebackers are good to great in my opinion. And you have uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, you have Devin White, you have Shaq Barrett, and then Levante David. And Jason Pierre-Paul, this was another one looking up some numbers going into this game. I I was looking at it, you know, saying, you know, he's a little bit, a little bit older into his career. You know, has he lost a step or anything? Uh, he's only 32 years old, which was crazy to me. I... I I feel like he's just been in the league forever, um, going back to the Giants. And I guess just the older I get, the the more removed I get from, from time frames. Um, but he's still playing at a very high level. Um, you have Devin White and Levante David um, playing in the middle. And these two are both just studs. Um, they, they can cover tight ends. They can cover running backs. They play sideline to sideline. Um, they're very instinctual they can trigger downhill uh they'll, they'll thump you up um they pretty much do everything from that position and with the defensive line in front of them kind of opening up the gaps and letting them move freely um they're just really effective in the run game they're effective in the pass game and just overall they they play off each other very well and really able to hold down that middle of the defense and then the other outside linebacker is Shaq Barrett, um, who is having a pretty damn good season himself. Um, he adds seven and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, and an interception. And in my opinion, this is the best linebacking core in the league, um, just the way they all play together. And and it really solidifies that front seven. Um Pretty much anything you want to do on the ground game, quick passing and all that, they're they're all over covering this. Um, so I don't really see too much weakness to attack out of that front seven. 
Uh, when you move into the secondary, um, the cornerbacks, Sean Murphy Bunting, Carlton Davis, and then the safeties, Antoine Winfield Jr. and Jordan Whitehead. I guess this would be the area that I would be trying to target if if I'm looking for an advantage on this defense. And not really necessarily because there's, you know, below average players here. Um, but they are dealing with some injuries across those position groups. Um, as of this recording, it looks like um, Sean Murphy Bunting was listed as questionable, um, but now looks like he might be headed to the IR. Um, so looks like we'll probably be seeing uh, Carlton Davis and Ross Cockrell. And Cockrell's been around for a while, and I think he's he's an adequate starting starting level cornerback, um, but definitely a bit of a drop off there. Um, but I think Carlton Davis is is a top tier cornerback, and the two of the two cornerbacks in the system can really benefit from that front seven, um, getting after quarterbacks and kind of getting the ball out early and getting pressure after them um, to possibly make some mistakes and and just not have all the timing right. Um, so we're not seeing, you know, gaudy interception numbers or anything from the secondary, um, but still overall very good players. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr., I think, is an absolute stud. Um, we see this guy playing all over the field. He comes up in, in run support, and he's a thumper there. Um, he's good in pass coverage. He's just kind of all over the field, and and I think a star in the making um, if he's not already there. And then the free safety slot is kind of interesting. Um, we have Mike Edwards suspended, um, similar to Antonio Brown, for violating the league's COVID protocols. And... So we're not going to see him. And then we also have Jordan Whitehead listed as as questionable. Um, so I saw I saw something earlier this week that um, Richard Sherman, who they brought in, um, he was injured pretty quick into his tenure there. Um, he's still listed on the IR, but I saw an article saying that they were looking at converting him to a safety. Um, I don't know if he would be able to be back in time for this game or, you know, if they'd be ready to throw him out there if need be. Um, but I think that safety position is going to be really interesting to to keep an eye on. Um, and where where Richard Sherman has kind of lost a little step in his career um, playing cornerback at the NFL level, um, we see a lot of these guys with great instincts and cover skills transition to safety, you know, later in their career where, you don't you don't quite need the same athleticism necessarily to still be an effective safety. Um, so kind of hoping we don't see that this week and just see what shakes out at that position for them. Um, but interesting to watch that going forward. Um, so I guess some of my keys to to a Bills victory in this game. Uh, I think it's going to be a really challenging game to to come away with a win here. Um, not only is that Bucks team super talented, but you're going on the road. Um, I think the first key is to keep Josh Allen clean, and I think that's easier than said than done. Um, our offensive line has struggled this struggled this year, and I think that's the the first step to anything. Is you know how many plays do we see Josh Allen make where 
he's running for his life and he can't just, you know, stand in the pocket and wheel and deal. Um, so I think with a lot of quarterbacks, we'd see much higher sack numbers um, for the pressures that this offensive line is allowing. Um, I, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword that sometimes Josh Allen's legs run him into some trouble, but also, you know, he uses his legs to kind of make up for some of the pressures applied to him. Um, so I think the first key is to keep Josh Allen clean. Um, second key is playing mistake-free football. Um, I just feel like with the talent that the Bucks have on offense, they can score points in the bunches. And just some of the errors that this Bills team has had in – be it, you know, an unforced turnover or time after time, uh, just a costly penalty at the most inopportune moment. Um, thinking of that Dawson knocks off sides at the end of the game. Um, thinking of a couple of Brita fumbles, um, one, one against New England on the exchange. Um, the other one, you know, in his first game action, kind of just running through the hole and switching hands and losing the ball. Um, just, some of these unforced errors, you know, Isaiah McKenzie on a kick return, you know, just falling down and fumbling it himself. These are the types of plays that, number one, good teams don't really make often, and number two, should be able to overcome here and there. Um, I just feel like it's starting to snowball, and we're seeing more and more of it, and it's not only the mistakes, they just tend to be kind of at the most inopportune time. Um, so got to go out there, play mistake-free football, make sure that we're not trying to beat ourselves and the opponent at the same time, because with this Buccaneers team, you're not going to get away with it. Uh, number three is, and I was talking to my brothers about this during the new England game is just getting digs more, more involved in the offense. And, and for this past game against new England, I understand, you know, the, the wind and, crazy weather and whatnot but in a game in a game like that I think Diggs is you know your best offensive weapon and if the wind is going to keep you from being able to target him 12 times in a game I think you need to find other ways to get him the ball um, whether it's you know like little tunnel screens easy completions if you use him in a jet sweep I know he doesn't have you know that crazy 4-2 speed um, but he's a playmaker and when he has the ball in his hands he makes the right reads he makes people miss and I just think to be the best offensive weapon we have um, just how many games we've had this year where you know we see him under 10 receptions or under 10 targets I just think that's something that we can't have in the mix and and However you have to do it, you have to manufacture touches uh, for digs. And then my last key is to win the turnover battle. And this is kind of going hand-in-hand and hand playing the mistake-free football, um, but also the defense being able to create some extra opportunities for the offense. Um, like I said, I, I think our defense is playing very well this year, uh, especially compared to last year. Um, that being said, I still think that this Buccaneers team has the ability to score uh, points in bunches and you're going to have to match them to come out on top of this game. All that to say, uh, I had this game predicted as a loss in the preseason and I haven't moved off of that yet. Um, 
I really don't like doing it on. I I really don't like picking against the Bills because um, you know if I'm right, it's a pretty empty feeling. Um, but I just haven't seen enough from this team to to say that we're ready to go into the Super Bowl champions' house and take them down. Um, this really isn't with the New England game factoring into my opinion. I think that game is kind of. I don't want to say a throwaway because it still counts, but I don't think it was really a good way to evaluate either team on the field. Um, this is just kind of going with how I felt about the team throughout the season and where I feel they stand now. Um, so hopefully I'm wrong on this, but I, I have the Patriots winning 35-24. to 24 and, and we'll see. Hopefully I get to be wrong. Um, we're going to take one more quick break, and then I'm going to just kind of give you a little bit of my feelings about this Bills team as we kind of move from being can we win the division can we win the the conference down to you know will we make the playoffs or not so just going to kind of dive into some of my thoughts about where the team stands right now all right welcome back we're gonna wrap up tonight I just wanted to give kind of some of my thoughts uh, as to where the team stands at this point in the season. And I felt like it was a good time to do this because, you know, going into that New England game, it was, you know, playing to be on top of the division again, um, playing to be up towards the top tier um, in the AFC. And losing that game kind of put us down to the seventh seed and I guess being closer to the in the hunt graphic than you know, will they finish as the one seed? Um, so I just kind of wanted to take a step back and look at it because this season feels so much different than last season, right? And I think part of last year was Josh really emerging and how much fun that's been for how bad of quarterback play we've had over the years. And I think he's largely still having a, a good season. The numbers suggest that it's pretty similar to last year. Um, but it feels so much different this year. And I'm largely going to focus on the offense here because I think most of us are, I guess, overall pleasantly surprised with the defense. Um, I don't think we, you know, expected the defense to improve as much as it did from last year. Um, which brings me to the offense. And it's, it's kind of been... Last year felt like we could score at will, and I think of that Rams game um, where we had to come back and, you know, we blew an early lead and we were still able to come back and, and secure that win. And I, I think of the sequence where, you know, Josh says, well, how many times do we have to score? And it didn't matter. We were in the red zone and we scored three or four consecutive times. You know, there was penalties, there was all kinds of stuff that happened and we were still able to get it done. And then I look at this year and just how much we've struggled in the red zone all year. And, you know, the personnel hasn't really changed much. Um, so like what, what happened there? What, what's different this year that we're struggling so much in the red zone. And I think part of it for me is the play calling. It just seems like this year we're kind of vanilla and boring and, I don't know if that's somewhat limited by by players being able to execute, but it's, again, also largely the same players as last year. Um, 
But I just think of plays like the McKenzie jet sweep. Um, even when we weren't using that a ton last year, you know, we would move him into motion and kind of threaten it um, to keep defenses on the toes. We've seen almost none of that this year. Uh, I think of all the, you know, gadget type plays that we would use last year. And some of them I hated at the time when we did it. Like, our offense is so good. Why do you have to send Josh out on on a route as a receiver and let him get upended at the goal line? Um, But it just seemed to me like the play calling last year was very much like it was gutsy and it was leaving everything on the field and there was no you know, we'll come back and get it next possession. It was, it was pedal to the metal and, and just gutsy. And I just don't really see that this year. Um, it's just very bland. It seems like we keep trying to force a run game that, that we very clearly don't have. And when you look at the breakdown of like the run to pass percentage, um, it comes out right now pretty much the same as last year. But I think last year's numbers were a little bit skewed by, you know, trying to run the ball and run clock to end games. Um, this year, I, th- I just feel like we're trying to force a run game into existence that we just don't have. I don't think our backs are good enough to do it on their own, and our offensive line isn't doing much to help them. Um, so for me, I, th- I think it's just kind of lean into our strength and just keep throwing the ball. If you can't run effectively, then don't. Um Part of my problem with the play calling goes to this New England game. You know, how many times do we see Josh Allen doing a quarterback sweep or a quarterback draw, and it's like second and five in the first quarter um, with nothing on the line? And he's our most effective running back on this team, and it sucks to say that, but it's the case. So then we go into this New England game where weather is a huge factor. We can't throw the way we want to. And he comes out of the game, I believe, with six total carries. Um, To me, that just seems like with the stakes of the game and the weather conditions and everything going into it, like, wouldn't that be the game to have 15 designed runs for Josh Allen and let him go do his thing? Uh, It just it just seems like. You know, we're picking now to be scared of him getting hit when that would have been our best weapon in that game plan. Um, again, with the, with the self-inflicted wounds, there's so many inopportune penalties, um, so many unforced errors. It just looks like the team is, I don't want to say they came into the season cocky or careless. It just seems like there's a lot of fundamental errors being made. Um, and we saw a bit of that last year, but we had like this moxie to be able to overcome it. And I guess that's kind of where I stand overall with the team right now. Um, I, for the record, I still think the team makes the playoffs. I don't think, I don't think we at this point win the division. Um, I think that that loss to New England was pretty brutal for that. But you know, when it comes down to it, this playoff race, if we're looking for a wild card game, it's going to be really tight at the end. And a game like the Buccaneers coming up. I think we still have a chance if we lose that game, but we start running out of time real quick. And with how convoluted the AFC is this year, you can't really give up too much more ground before you know you're you're in that tiebreaker territory. And 
pretty much all of our losses this year coming against the AFC isn't going to do anything to help us in tie-breaking situations. Um, so I think this is this is the time of the year to really buckle down. And over the last five, six weeks of the season, you really have to dig deep inside and, and find out what this team is made of. Um, and if I think they... If they get to the playoffs, I think they can go toe to toe with any team that that they that they see. Um, but you got to get there first at this point. And that's going to kind of wrap it up for tonight. Thank you again for joining us on the Wandering Buffalo podcast on the Built in Buffalo Network. Uh, Andrew and I are always looking for great guests on the show. So if you want to get involved, hit us with a comment, a DM, whatever the case is, let us know if you want to get involved with the show. That's going to do it for this week. Hopefully uh, we're celebrating me being wrong this time next week about this Bucks game. Go Bills.